Last week, um, we began thinking through some of the themes um, of Advent. And last week, we looked at peace. And uh, this week, what I want to do is uh, look at the theme of hope. I think if you go to... <laughs> Don't rush, you can... Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a massive anticlimax when it comes, I've got to tell you. Okay. I told you. <laughs> About hope. About hope. And uh, is there a better time to be a people of hope? What dents your hope? What, what, what dents it? What gets in the way of hope for you? Pun? Circumstances. When circumstances are bleak. What dents hope for you? Disappointment, when things haven't worked out as you would imagined in the past. Your own cynicism, yeah, that sort of corrosive thing that says it'll probably not be. Vera? Yeah, listen to the people and hearing their sort of sometimes, sometimes negativity. What else dents hope for you? Fear? Yeah. Fit doubt, yeah. Advent is that time where, as Christians, we're trying to do two things, and one of them isn't getting ready for Christmas. <laughs> All right, that's actually what's been happening around us. It feels like, in some cases, from the end of October. Um, uh, but where people putting lights up and, and the shops getting ready and everything else. And it's not, for Christians, you know, we're part of that. Of course we're part of that. But it's not actually, Advent is not about getting ready for Christmas. Advent is doing two things. Advent is recognizing that actually when we do celebrate the birth of Jesus, we recognize God's promise that came from ages past and was delivered in Christ. But the other thing that Christians are doing is looking ahead and saying, it's not always going to be like this. That actually, Jesus is going to come back again. Everything is going to change. And therefore, we're a people of hope. In the, mid in the meantime, the tricky thing is, we're living in the messy middle. That's actually what we're, we're doing. People who are, are convinced about the significance of Jesus, convinced that actually this story will not end until Christ comes again. And in the meantime, how do you navigate the messy middle? Last week, we talked about peace and being peacemakers. It was really interesting to hear people talk about when and where they've been peacemakers. There, were, there was one parent who said, at home... I was a peacemaker when I got into a full bath in my suit, having just arrived from home and finding chaos, and knew that I could stop this chaos if I got into a bath. You can try it if you wish. We had stories about people making peace at work and actually getting in between people in conflict and making peace. And there was a brilliant story by Evie, who is four? 
five, four or five, four or five. Evie is uh, Joe and Chris's little girl. And Evie said, at school, I made peace between Daisy and, I, I can't remember the other girl's name, but Susan. <laughs> <laughs> A popular name. And uh, she said, what I did was Daisy didn't want to be friends with Susan because she had another friend. And I said to Daisy, no, <laughs> you can be friends with Daisy and Susan. I made peace. What does it mean to be people who hold out for peace, but then operate as people of peace? One of the things that we've been saying over the last autumn period is we've been trying to explain what sort of church we are and are becoming and would wish to be. And uh, we've preached our way through this, as some of you who've been with us would know. We're a growing community of whole life disciples who are alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another in the moment we're in so we can be good news to those around us. And it's that last phrase, that being good news to those around us. What does that mean? Well, last week, it means we're peacemakers, actually. Blessed are you, peacemakers. We're children of God. What does it mean to be good news around us? It means at least two things, that we are people who hope and people who offer hope. And that's what I want to think about with you this morning. But in order to do that, we're going to show you a short film made by the Bible Project people around what is hope in a biblical phrase? What do we mean by hope? And they'll explain it like this. Let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, 
He lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kava for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. I hope you found that helpful. I guess everybody here will have had the moments where you wonder if it's all worthwhile. Everything. Those moments of fear, the moments where you're wondering how are things going to work out, and it's like it just feels hopeless. And um, some of you for all sorts of different reasons, may well have had that feeling for a long period of time, and you know how debilitating it is. I, I haven't, and I can't imagine how it is to wake up day after day after day just going, I'm not sure I have any hope. But you know, some of you, you know what that feels like. But you also know what it feels like when it's almost like the sun comes out and suddenly it's like, no, there is hope. Actually, it, it can be, it can, and the sun comes. And it <laughs> it's not easy to get that happening at the right time. But when the sun does break in and suddenly it's like, no, actually, it's not going to be always night. It's not always going to be dark. It's not always going to be, I can't find my way around this. Light breaks in. What does it mean to be people of hope? The story we will retell over and over and over in our society at Christmas is the story you know only too well. 
in Matthew 1, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. This baby Jesus born with all the possibilities for all that's ahead. I wonder if I can borrow your baby for a moment. <laughs> You've got to do it. She is a prop. She is a prop. You may wake up and take it. Okay, let's... This is a very important part of the sermon. I wouldn't choose to do this. I just have to. <laughs> so here's the deal. And I, I, you know, I, it's no secret if you know me. I do get a bit soppy about babies. And one of the reasons I get a bit soppy about them, I, I don't know why, actually, if I'm honest. <laughs> but I, I don't know. But there's one part of me that gets quite soppy about it. Because it's kind of like this little, this little girl here, I kind of keep wanting to look and think, what is possible? Bundled up in this sort of mixture of genetic code and the security you give her as parents. And who will this little girl become? What is possible? And of course, Nicole and Rob, she is their hope that um, one day she will get a really good job and tons of money and keep you in the style to which you would wish to be <laughs> accustomed. <laughs> that actually isn't, in some part, isn't, and, and not the money bit, but isn't there something about that for those of us who have children? Actually, our hope is not that you become completely independent and leave us, but actually that you grow and we are richer in every way because of you. That actually, whoever you end up being, Pippa, that you've added hope into our lives. And it's why it's so painful if you can't. And it's intriguing that when they tell the Jesus story, they start here. And be under, I mean, I know you know this. But this is what Jesus looked like. <laughs> Perhaps without the elf costume. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> but this is what Jesus looked like. This is how helpless Jesus was. This is when, Isaiah, when uh, the angel says to Joseph, and Matthew's reflecting and saying, this is what was promised. 700 years ago, this is what was promised, folks, that a baby would come conceived of a virgin. This 
is the hope. This scrap of humanity. The hope of the world. I'm going to have to put you down, but I'd rather not. Listen, you just don't understand. I can't believe you just said that. When we sing the carol uh, with the line, the hopes and fears of all the years, and they're in thee tonight. What we're saying is all of this hope for newness comes and is found in that sort of apex of a baby. This is what we've hoped for. This is, what we've, this is how our fears will be dealt with. In a child being born. A child who will overturn all that's wrong. This is the story we live in. And uh, if you want to know as a Christian, what's the big story? It's really this simple. The story at its simplest basis is a story of two trees and one cross. There's an initial tree way back in a garden that are told, please don't eat of that tree. And Adam and Eve, for whatever reason, can't help themselves, tempted, give in to temptation. And Satan, who is the enemy of God's good creation, twists and breaks and fractures. And so they're excluded from his presence. And the story all the way up to the baby being born is of a people being wrestled with by God, but never certain where they stand with him. And God never really even being certain where they, he stands with them until Jesus comes. And in Jesus on the cross, all that's broken, it is possible that it can be renewed and restored. And you know that because you've experienced that in your own lives. When we heard Ian's testimony last week, and Annalise's testimony. People in middle age. <laughs> no offence. <laughs> no offence. <laughs> he has gone, I'll take that. <laughs> middle age going, actually, do you know what? Through Jesus, what happened is my life has been being put back together again. You've seen it. Those of you that have watched Annalise and Ian have been part of that story. What you've been watching is the process of salvation. You've been watching someone being put back together again. It's what God wants to do for the whole world. Which is why the second tree is so important because that tree is the revelation tree, the, tr the revelation 22 tree, where the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Two trees on one cross. Where is my hope? In that story. When Paul writes to the Romans in that chapter, I spoke about earlier when we were praying together, at chapter 8, he, he, he goes into quite de a lot of detail really about how do you live when it feels like everything's falling apart. And this is how it's translated in the message. So it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. So it's kind of like an attempt to explain what's going on in the text. But I think it's helpful. This is what Eugene Peterson wrote. It picks it up when he's talking about the spirit being given. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times 
and the coming good times. The creative world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting doesn't diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become, the more joyful our expectancy. Now, I've never been pregnant, but that is a brilliant. <laughs> and I have to tell you, that is written by and translated by a man who was paraphrasing another man. I think pregnancy is simple. But <laughs> I got through it fine. And, um, but the point is... Half of you are going, you have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But that is the picture that Paul uses, a pregnant woman. And the sickness that comes, and the pain, and the discomfort, and then the pain of birth. But the remarkable thing is, those of you that had really rough pregnancies, some of you did it again. Are you nuts? <laughs> You're nuts. You did it again. Why? Because the joy outweighs the pain. The joy outweighs the discomfort. The joy outweighs the weight. Paul says this is what it means to be Christians. You look around you this week and, you know, depending on how you, if indeed you do now still follow the news or whether actually... When it comes on, you watch it out of duty because you feel you ought to, but actually you know I'm not really following this anymore because I can't keep on following this and keep on getting depressed. But if you do follow it, it feels like, where is hope? But the Christians are going, do you know what? We're waiting for something better. It's not to stick your head in the sand, but it is to say, I'm waiting for God to bring all this to an end. And in a sense, to change the image, you've got to start packing. Now, this is really personal, and um, but it's a way of telling everybody at the same time. Um, we did buy a house, and we are moving in um, on the 20th, which is a great time <laughs> of year to move house. <laughs> I think everybody would imagine that. 20th of December, there's nothing happening the week after. What's really interesting is then, uh, for us, this has been really quick. As, as you, uh, for you, it may sound like ages, but for us, it feels like overnight. Um, but what's been interesting this week for us is the three parties involved, the folks who are buying, the folks we're buying off, and the us, we decided we would move on the 20th. The solicit- and then we told the solicitors, <laughs> which is a tricky thing to do. But essentially, our eye is on the end. So we're starting to pack. We're starting to pack. We're putting it together. 
We're saying, actually, do you know what? There's something new ahead of us here. I'm getting ready for this. And this is the call of people of hope. Not to wait, oh, God, do something. But that early call of early Christians, they had one word for it. And it was the word, and you know this word, some of you. You know what's going to say. It's Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. And it's not like a plaintive, oh, God, help. It's no, come. Because we're ready. We're packed. We've got cases packed. We're not holding on to the stuff. We've, we've sorted the loft. A whole stack of stuff's been chucked out. A whole stack of stuff's... If you want to buy our stuff, it's at the charity shop at the end near Aldi. (laughs) (laughs) That's where our stuff is. Packed, ready. My hope is not in Brexit, nor is yours. My hope is not in politicians, nor is yours. My hope is in the God who said, this is... My world, my plan, I will, Jesus said, return. All things will be transformed. We're living in the messy middle, certainly, but we're living packed, ready for a hope. Not to get us out of this, but for heaven to come back, for Jesus to come back, for things to be put right, that God might walk with us once more as he did in the garden. That's our hope. That's what Advent means. And of course it's bonkers. Exactly. That idea that Jesus came and he's walking around and one day, of course, he will come again. And the point of revelation is, and God will be with his people. The New Testament Christians comforted themselves with this thought. Last thought I want to share with you is this. So you're people who hope and you are people, therefore, who offer hope. This is what it means to be good news to people around us. Peacemakers, certainly, but hope bringers as well. We should be the people who never say to one another, it's hopeless. But you know, as I do, that sometimes you've thought that. It's hopeless. This relationship's hopeless. This situation's hopeless. This, it's hopeless. No, 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 no. While God's involved in this, it's never hopeless. The hopeless is the final seal of death. It's not hopeless, for God's involved. Even more now, it's obvious why we never should say to one another, you're hopeless. Nothing we can do with you. Nothing that could happen. There's no future for you. Never do we say that. Never do we say it of one another. For God's at work. Things are never like that. Of course, humanly speaking, they may appear so. Of course, humanly speaking, you may be at your wit's end. Of course, you may not be able to see the future. You and I don't have 2020 vision. We're not sort of superheroes who can see the future. We're just people who know where our hope is. We have seen people change. It was your testimony last week, week before. We have seen 
people change. We have seen situations turn around. We have seen miracles that have been unexpected. What have you got to offer people? Hope. Because we're people of hope. People waiting, but not just sort of waiting plaintively, but waiting in hope, going, God is not finished here, and he's not finished with you either, and he's not finished in this situation. So when we pray, we pray in hope. We wait, and our hope is in you. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. And on that film, when they talked about hope, they talked about it being scattered throughout the Psalms, and it's true. If you just do a, a Google search in Bible Gateway or something for hope, and it's just in the Psalms all the time. Why? Because the Psalms are the Psalms of prayer. Because actually in prayer, people keep coming back and going, do you know what, God? It looks like a mess, but my hope is in you. It looks like a mess, but my hope is in you. It's not bad, is it? The hope. Jesus, the hope of the world, who comes and brings hope. But people of God who carry hope. I'm pretty much done. But I think it would be good for us to pray. And I don't know, but I can only imagine that in a room with this sort of folk, number of people in at this sort of time of year, <laughs> some of you are going, yeah, I needed to hear that. Because actually when I look around me, I am of the opinion sometimes that it's hopeless and I don't know where to turn. And actually for us to pray for you that you might know the hope that is in Christ, the hope of glory for your own lives, for your own situations. And it's not about you being weak and pathetic. It's actually just this week, it's your turn. <laughs> Next week, it'll be somebody else's. But this week, it's your turn. It's like, God, if my hope is, in not, in, if my hope is not in you, I don't know where I'm going to turn. And it would be great to pray with you. Is that okay? I don't want to embarrass you, but it helps to know. If it's you, then do you want to just stand and we'll pray? We'll just do it as simply as that. If you know, actually, that's where I kind of at. Then just stand. And if none of you stand, I'll go, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> right, if you want to stand, just stand. Yeah? You just know you're in a situation and you just know God. I need your hope, and I need to be a hope bringer. There's two things going on. There's that sense of, in my situation, I need hope, but actually I want to be a hope bringer in a context uh, that involves other people. If that makes sense for you, then just stand. Uh, I don't want to extend it, but just give you opportunity. Sometimes it's really small things. Um, the truth is, this is my confession. 
is as we were beginning the service, uh, there was something just bugging me, and I had to sort of remind myself that um, there's something. The, the the thing that was bugging me was just beginning to sort of sow the seeds of fear, and what I had to do was just remind myself of hope again in God, that actually it's not in my ability or my cleverness; it's actually in God. And it, it sometimes it's just small things, and that recognition: my hope is in you, the one who holds. And it makes the difference. It does make the difference because it centers me back in the one who holds me. So if you're standing, then we want to pray for you. I think if you're standing, we would want to, we who sit would want to tell you to remind you that the Lord is trustworthy. We'd want to tell you that he is the one in whom you are right to have the hope. We would want to remind you of that which you know, that as you cast your care upon him, he cares for you. We'd want to remind you that you can be a hope bringer into situations where actually other people don't know where to turn. We would want to remind you of the hope of glory, Jesus, who's in you. We would want to pray together for you that, Father, you would stir up hope where there isn't any hope. Or whether the darkness threatens to come in, we would want to pray that hope will break in. We would want to pray that these people's minds would turn to you as the one who retains, who is trustworthy, who is worthy of our hope, the one who has promised and has kept his promises, the one who will achieve all that he purposes. Father God, I pray for those folks this morning. As a whole church together, we pray that we would be people of hope, hope bringers into situations that need it. In our families, where so often it feels like things just break apart and tear apart, Lord, we pray we would be hope bringers into those situations. In workplace, Lord, where we're dealing with colleagues that we might not know as, as really closely, but we can see actually what they need is hope. Lord, I pray that we'll know how to say it and what to say and the wisdom to know how to deal with it. Lord, I pray in our own lives that we might know the hope you have for us. May your spirit rest upon each of us, but particularly on these folks this morning, Lord.